Welcome, everybody, to Slasher Sports Cinema, a division of Slasher Sports, and thank you for tuning in. I want to ask you to hit that subscribe or follow button and turn on those notifications. Today's guest, she's director, writer, producer, probably baked cookies and did their taxes for the cast and crew of her new film at some point because she does it all. And her brand new film is out right now. It's a new approach on the Bring It On franchise. Bring It On, Cheer or Die, which is now available digitally and on DVD from Universal Pictures Home Entertainment. We're going to talk to Karen Lamb on Slasher Sports Cinema. They say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for if not for shedding? I'm the number one fan. We all go a little mad sometimes. You're listening to the Slasher Sports Show with Billy Graves. Karen Lamb, welcome to Slasher Sports Cinema. That was such a fantastic opening. No wonder. Okay. Did you like that? Did you like that, really? I loved it. That was great. You know, anytime anyone says anything about it, I've got to shout out Carl Casey from White Bat Audio. Does a fantastic job with that. And uh, I said, I I love this tune. I'm going to throw it over some spooky images, have a librarian friend of mine give a little verbal intro. Uh, steal a couple of clips from Tony Todd and Annie from Misery, and we've got ourselves an intro. It's great. It's really great. I love the music. Actually, that was uh, that drives the whole thing together. And uh, yeah, you said, oh, it's it's a uh, yeah. This is our intro, and I I'm I'm impressed. Ugh, well, hey, it, it starts it off right, and we. But you know, th- this is all about you, Karen. Okay, you've done a really good thing. Um, and, and first of all, I'm very honored that you would join me today. Uh, it's uh, very much my pleasure to have you on. Um, but you've done a really good thing here. And I want to talk about Cheer or Die as much as we can without spoiling anything. Because the main focus here is to get a few extra eyes that I can hopefully, humbly pull to your project. But first, let me tell you something that caught my eye. And it was your Twitter bio. Okay. You might not remember... Uh, it's not that you're a carnivorous cat lady, um, although I think that's wonderful. Um, but you don't only describe yourself as a director or producer or writer. You describe yourself as a horror director, producer, writer. And that little distinction makes me kind of happy. Just, uh, I wear that flag comfortably. I don't do, there's no, um, I remember at the beginning of my career, I had a, uh, director mentor basically say don't get stuck in horror like if you start doing this like maybe you do this just for a while but you're gonna get stuck in it and I think after our first session together she was like oh you like this like you actually like horror and I was like 
Yeah, like I don't see it as it's not a stepping stone for, you know, basically doing some sort of, you know, what I mean, like it's it's not a stepping stone to great drama. It is drama. It is. It, it's what I do. It's the it's the only medium I like being in. So. And you're not successful in spite of being a horror director. You're you're successful because you are a horror director. That That is just your vibe. Right. That is what you cut your teeth on. Yeah. And it's also, um, it's the thing that basically inspires me again and again. And it's, uh, and to me, I think that for some people, I think they think of horror as being really narrow and I define it in a more broad sort of way. There's so many things that are horror. Like when I think of horror literature, for example, it's anything that produces that feeling of dread, discomfort, you know, like something that makes you feel just like death is around the corner that could describe so many ways of telling a story. It doesn't have to just be one way of looking at it. And so that's why, why I am very happy happy in horror it's uh you know there's no there's no hidden rom-com that's dying to come out let's just put it that way <laughs> there's not well okay fine <laughs> if uh, if you're just gonna hold off on us like that that's fine well you know about a year ago i spoke to uh, a, another director his name is jim burkett he did the film coherence and i just kind of happened upon coherence as i was digging through hulu I said, what is this? Uh, checked it out. It's kind of Twilight Zony, which is, you know, really up my alley. Had him on the podcast and he was kind of humble about it. He says, you know, like, I don't know that this is really like your bag, uh, what I'm doing. I don't really know if it's horror. I said, look, man, this film is strange and unusual. And if anything, Slasher Sports, Slasher Sports Cinema is a home for the strange and unusual. So that broad just think about it. How often do you see somebody say, Hey, who's your Mount Rushmore of horror? And then they name four slasher guys. Well, no, it's, it's a little deeper than that. You've got Linda Blair from the exorcist. You've got Dracula. You've got Vincent Price. And th these are all people that, you know, never did a slasher film. So, I mean, come on, the, the, you're, you're doing great with it. You're carrying the flag and we're glad someone like you is doing it, but you know, listeners don't take my word for it. See for yourself. Go back to a 2007 short film called The Cabinet. 12 minutes of just engrossing suspense with a dreadful ending. And I say dreadful in the best way possible. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you went back and you watched. Oh, my God. That's my first film. And uh, yeah, it's, that was where people said, don't get stuck in this. And I was like, stuck. This is where I'm happy. So, <laughs> well, you know, the cabinet, again, being your first work at the helm, uh, I don't know if you did anything prior to that, you know, outside of directing. I mean, I, I think you've done plenty before that. I was but a producer and my first produced film was actually uh, The Bone Snatcher, which was Flesh Eating Ants uh, set in South Africa. So that tells you something right from the beginning. It was it was it was that. <laughs> Well, you know, I've recently gotten into short films a lot, and I don't know why I've done it. I don't have a short attention span like, uh, you know, those that might be half our age. I can't seem to sit through an hour and a half film without, you know, fidgeting on Instagram. I was actually at Halloween Ends this past weekend, and the entire row in front of me, they were just swiping through Instagram like the, the film wasn't on screen. And I wondered, like, what, you know, what's going on with that? But at the same time, it made sense. Short films... You know, can be another piece of medium and short, you know, short form factor uh, filmmaking is probably something that is bigger than it's ever been. I think but so. I did go back and watch uh, The Cabinet and I think it was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's actually shot on film. Like that was the turnover. It was uh, the first and last thing I shot on film, which was uh, Super 16 back in the day. So that's how long you ago. You prefer film over digital? 
I'm a purist, you know, I do. But on the other hand, just cost wise, and we've gotten so used to working on digital now that it's hard to, to go back. I keep thinking I want to go back and make film. But I, I know when I was producing and we first started, it was literally hand crank Bolex. We were like, you know, just I, I think we were developing our films in bathtubs and stuff. And it was really cool because it was really experimental what you were doing. And in horror, it's awesome because you never knew what you were going to get. You could end up with some really amazing, creepy results that you couldn't have created digitally. It's because it's accidental. You know what I mean? It's like a it's an organic. You know, I think thing. a lot of directors probably have that preference. I mean, Ty West is making stuff still on film, you know, yeah. and like he's as big as anybody can be right now uh, with Pearl and X and the upcoming Maxine. Um, but do you think that, you know, newer upcoming filmmakers should get their feet wet with um, with short films before they bite off a little too much? Or do you think that like on its own, it is like you said, it doesn't have to be a stepping stone. It can be like people can dedicate to short film. You know what? I still make short films now. I, like the next thing I plan on doing is actually a short film. So I don't see it as now you've made features. You never go back to it. It's sort of like a novelist that doesn't write, say, short stories or poems. You know what I mean? Like they're different medium altogether. You're still telling a story. And sometimes I always start with an idea. So sometimes it's a big idea. You know, like maybe it's a TV series. It's a really big idea. Sometimes it's a, you know, a, a medium idea and that's something that can actually go into a feature. But sometimes you just have a nugget of an idea and you want to explore that. And a short film is a perfect place to work with that. Plus, it gives me a chance to experiment. Sometimes on a feature, I can't do something really experiment, like experimental. I can't really push the, the boundaries. But I, I think it's the only place I can kind of reset and rethink and play with new techniques. Well, there's a Spanish director, and I can't remember her last name, and I feel terrible about that because I'm usually pretty good at shooting from the hip. But uh, Carlota, she just made Piggy. Piggy is the, the the new film. It came from a short film. So even a short film could develop into something bigger. Um, I, I just spoke to uh, Michael Stein uh, not a couple of weeks ago, who was actually the, the original Dirk Diggler. He starred as Dirk Diggler in the short film, that became the feature film of Boogie Nights. Oh my God. So a, sh a short film could turn into a feature film in the drop of a hat. Just depends on who gets a hold of it, right? Yeah. So it's like holding on to, you know, an old, you know, document in the library and it's like, you know what? I've got a couple of ideas that I could add on to this. And who says the cabinet can't be? Well, you know, actually, the cabinet probably was pretty close to being a short film with a Barbarian, right? Because Barbarian's a lot like, a lot like that. Yeah, um, just, actually, I just saw uh, the the Winona Ryder film uh, that was one of those, you know, two people end up at the same uh, cabin, rental cabin, and uh, a bunch of craziness goes down. So I'm I'm down with it. Yeah. And sometimes, again, I have, I'm pierced in that way in, in a different way, which is sometimes a short film can just be a perfect short film. You know, like it doesn't need to you don't need to turn it into something else. I did do that on my second feature. Um, I, I had a short film doll parts and that turned into Evangeline. So that that was um, an expansion. But I sometimes people are like, oh, you've got like, you know, here's your film. Do you want to turn it into a TV series? And I'm like, no, there's not a like to me, there wasn't enough there to. To, to do more with it so it's again you have to kind of honor the idea sometimes there's enough for more and sometimes you know what call it what it is it's just it's nice the way it is so you know let the artist be the artist and whatever comes out of it is what comes out of it yeah. uh, you know my introduction to horror was uh friday the 13th part two um at four years old um which i don't suggest to anybody um or at least to do to their kids i mean i, I had to sneak i mean i waited for my parents to you know, go on date night. I snuck into their closet <laughs> where all the forbidden films were hidden. 
quite poorly, if I could say so. Um, I grabbed the cassette, uh, watched it from beginning to end with nobody to help me shield my eyes. And again, <laughs> I don't suggest anybody do that with their child. But I, you know, I was even so sneaky about it that I had to look at where the film was and then rewind it to that point before I put it back into the closet. Gosh, I feel like such a you scoundrel. Clever. You're clever. And you know what? You're totally That's fine funny. now. You're not damaged. So, you know. To your knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> no, I am, though. I am. And, and I do suggest, um, and I'm by, I'm by no means any child psychology expert, but getting kids into horror early on in bites that they can handle is, I mean, it, 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 I think it does help process things like fear. So throw on Little Shop of Horrors, you know, throw on Gremlins. Gremlins does get a little bit wild, even for a little kid, it if does. we're being honest. But you know but what? What so was your all first? The, like, with all, that's all the all our fairy tales, too, growing up with it. Those were our ways in, right? Like, right then, you've got serial killers in Bluebeard, which is what uh, the cabinet was based on. Um, you've got witches. You've got, you know, basically, there's death just around the corner for all of those. So, you know, like... All you need is to want a piece of candy, and a witch will eat you. <laughs> that's all there is to it. Exactly. What was your first horror film? Uh, Jaws. My dad took me, actually. I was four years old, so... Four or five. I know. I know. So I just wanted go. to hear you say it. And, yeah. And so wh why did he do it? Uh, here's the answer. Because I asked him that and he said, well, you liked fish. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because it's such a dad answer. It is such a dad answer. And you know what? He, um, growing up, he turned every fairy tale into a horror film. So basically, like every every like twist he could put in there was always like cannibals cannibals were a lot in in it so i remember him even telling me that robinson crusoe and his boy friday were eaten by cannibals on the other side of the island so to this day i think they were eaten like i i have not gone back to the book i don't know if they were eaten but that's that's what my dad told me so allegedly that's what i heard as well yeah. So, yeah. so that's so he he did that with every single one there was like and of course he always wanted to describe what was in the pot you know what i mean like it's always like something brewing in the pot and so yeah there's a lot it's of, a head it's, a <laughs> it's head. always a head and you know there's body parts and we're always eating things right so yeah you know, your dad, your dad taking you to Jaws because you like fish is like, you know, my dad taking me to see Motel Hell because I like gardening. You know, <laughs> just, <laughs> totally I don't know. It. I love the logic to it, though. Yeah. But you do have a film in pre-production. Um, but your latest project, uh, should I even bring up that it can be found on sci-fi? I, I, I know we want to do the... Uh, uh, we want physical copies. All right. One day that cloud is going to go poof. Yeah. And you know what? I depend on people. I ordered two copies of Bring It On at uh, Chiridai because I don't trust the cloud. I don't, I, I, I feel like one of those conspiracy theorists that has all their, like, but if I really love a film, I want to make sure I have at least one like Blu-ray criterion, whatever it is. I need a copy of it because that way. Um, and also I'm weird about people tracking what I watch. That's another one. Somehow if it's on DVD, I can watch it as many times as I want and it's still mine. And also there's the special features, which I'm still a glutton for that. I love, I love all the special okay. stuff. See, special features are really the like point number one on why you should be getting, you know, physical media. But you're right. I mean, being tracked, just the fact that, you know, you made uh, Cheer or Die, soon that could probably be held against you in a court of law. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. 
we have no idea what's going to happen. Oh, but you know what? I had to sneak the special features into the tail end credits. Did you see? Like that? I was did. Me. I did. So that was my I, way. That was my nod. Yeah, I'm glad you did that. Um, even though, I mean, I'm going to buy this just because I like to commemorate any, you know, any guests that I've had on and, and buy a physical copy of their uh, of their project, especially if it's the project that we're talking about. But yeah, I, I always like a, a good gag reel. Um, gag reels are another way that you can get your children into horror. Show them the gag reel only, and they're going to find it funny first, and then you can jump into the feature. And be like, see, it's not real. They're really friends. Well, that's but how Karen, I did Fear Die, actually. I saw it as uh, the gateway for basically, because it is PG-13, but on the other hand, I wanted, um, there's a lot of Easter eggs, as you could tell, from like references to other films, other, like lots of little, little, little nuggets of things, of things that I've been watching. And, uh, you know, I, there's a part of me that's like, if they ever wanted a director's commentary, I could tell you exactly what every every line and every shot is actually a re reference to. But um, I definitely saw it as a bit of a gateway drug to, you know, basically more horror. Like, here's a little bit, like, especially since it is part of the Bring It On franchise, which is predominantly female and um, a lot of, you know, cheerleaders and cheer fans from, from that. And this was their Halloween special. So essentially I wanted something that would bridge the two, like without being like uh, the way I describe it is it's not a horror film with some cheerleaders. It's actually a cheerleader film in horror. <laughs> it's, it's the, it's the opposite. I'm glad you said it's their Halloween special because that's precisely what I thought about when I was watching this growing up, you know, you have all your favorite cartoons. You watch Garfield and friends daily. Well, they had their Halloween special and then Charlie Brown, the peanuts gallery, they had their Halloween special. Everything got its Halloween special. And you know what? now Charlie Brown was a big component of this. There was like the first day of shooting was actually the Halloween trick or treat scene. And in my head was the Charlie Brown um, Halloween special. So <laughs> that, was, that was literally playing in the back of my head. Which but was... you know what? I'm not even going to give you credit for that. You know why? Because there's no Halloween that passes where Charlie Brown's not firmly in mind. Yes. Okay. Because, <laughs> because he's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. The most underrated dialogue of any cartoon there's ever been in existence. Don't even try to outdo it. Because, you know, Peppermint Patty is probably the snarkiest little lady that there ever was. <laughs> and I love her. Yeah. But, you know, this is a wild change of gears for the Bring It On franchise. I, I, I guess I want to know like, what the conversation sounded like when you were presented with the opportunity to direct. I thought they got the wrong person, for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> Wrong number. Yeah, wrong number. There's no possible way. I remember when my agent sent it over and I was actually in the middle of teaching a workshop, so I couldn't get to it at that point. And I actually didn't like shamedly say that I didn't know what Bring It On was. So I remember this coming on board and I, I have two really bad habits. One, I only read the first paragraph of my agent's email. So I don't scroll down. I read her email. And if there's a whole bunch of attachments, I don't read past that. It's really terrible. So she's like, here's the script, blah, blah. And then um, I never read the cover page like to see like what the title of it is, like anything. I just dive right in because I kind of don't want to know. And so I don't know who wrote it. I don't know who produced it. I just dive in. So I remember at the end of it, I kind of looked at it and it's like, at that point, it's called Bring It On Halloween. I was like, what do you mean Bring It On Halloween? Like, that's a weird name for like, Bring It On Halloween. I thought that was very odd. And then um, my agent said, you know, the producer wants to talk to you like before you make any decisions, like as to whether or not you're interested. And I was like, okay. So 
he said, well, have you watched any of these films? And I said, what is it? And he goes, oh, for God's sake, could you watch the first Bring It On at the very least? It's a part of a huge franchise. And so then once I started, you know, I watched the rest of them. But the first one I really, really enjoyed. I was so sh shocked. I, I hadn't heard of it for one thing, but it was so clever. And um, it was ahead of its time. Like it was already talking about white savior, like, you know, the complex. Like Nothing that I thought was going to happen happened the way that I thought it was. And I thought, this is really smart. I, I get what they're doing. And I, I think I then re-looked at the script in, a, in that light rather than, oh, why do they want me to do cheerleaders and, and horror? So yeah, that. And then the second question I had, which was on my first interview with the studio, they asked, um, oh, I asked them, like, are these fun deaths or like deadly deaths? And they were like, they all said in unison, fun deaths. So that's that was the second thing that kind of my marching orders. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say it again. You've done a great thing with Bring It On. And like you, I was never into the franchise. I'm not the demographic. I'm not even... I'm not even the guy who can slightly reach out of his own uh, demographic and catch, you know, any of those first six, right? I mean, you said like, what is bring it on? Like, do I have to see, you know, one through six to, to get part seven? I don't know, but I, I guess, you know, bring it on. You mixed in the, the, the mean girls approach with the bubble gumminess of, you know, what you expect from a film about cheerleading with darkness and unexpected edginess and fun, uh, that even expecting it, you don't expect it. But in spite of the darkness, it looked like you were still faithful to the Bring It On franchise. I mean, was that the plan? Like make a horror film without sacrificing what made the series what it was from the beginning? Yeah, it was a very much a rewiring of what I was going to do with it, because first and foremost, you like once you actually start going down that path of being in someone else's franchise, you're playing in someone else's sandbox. That's their world. So you've got your you've got your Tonka truck. You know what I mean? Like you're bringing this to their sandbox. But ultimately, you have to respect the fact that there's people who love these films. You know, like it, there's a certain arrogance that comes in to say, like, your films are no good. I'm going to come in and show you my magic. Like my Tonka truck's better than your, you know, your sandbox. And I think to myself, that's not the way to approach it. So it was really very much because I'm not a cheerleader. Oh, my God, I'm so not coordinated. So that is not going to happen. I told them I right off the bat. That. I was like, I was a marching band geek. I played French horn. So I am not not like the, no pom-poms and also Canadian. So uh, cheerleading football wasn't really a big part of our like. Hockey, yes, there was some marching band happening. So <laughs> that's that's where we stopped. But I had to educate myself on cheer just because I thought it would be, I really wanted to make sure that, um, like I, I kept going back to the first one specifically because I thought, you know, the, the whole franchise had gone during uh, down a certain path, but ultimately their cornerstone touchstone is still that first one. So I wanted to make sure that I was honoring the tone of that one. And um Yes, there's some Mean Girls stuff in it, but I actually was really inspired by, because part of my research was then watching like Netflix cheer and like talking to our, our choreographer, uh, Tony Gonzalez, who's worked on all of them, like finding as much as I could about cheer. So I was watching a lot of athlete shows. And then I went down YouTube rabbit holes where um, I was watching a lot of behind the scenes cheer camps and cheer programs. 
And the kids weren't nearly as catty or mean. As, and it was very team oriented. You know what I mean? And what I was really inspired by was how diverse it was, how much it was like a team sport. And like, it, it's like, I thought they were all putting it on. I was like, oh God, these people cannot be sincere. But it's like, oh, they really, like, they love their sport. They take it seriously. They're athletes. They're not, like in my head, they were waving pom-poms. And, you know, and then by the end of this, I was like, Jesus, they, they're acrobats. They're gymnasts. They're dancers they're like it's everything combined into one and there's um it's it's actually a really dangerous sport and i never thought of it that way and so yeah so it was it that was part of it so in designing the horror part of it i wanted to make sure that they were cheerleaders first so there is not a single action sequence where they don't behave like cheerleaders like there's no point where they all of a sudden turn into rambo or you know jackie chan or anything they still only have their cheer moves so that was really important to me that we honor cheer I do not want to give away a single shred of anything that goes on in this film. However, I have to point out one thing that got the most audible laugh from me. And like, I don't know if it's a good thing that I'm laughing at, at a horror film, but no, this part was meant to be laughed at. There's a scene where um, the antagonist, or at least the, you know, the unknown perpetrator, if you yes. will, is shooting a bow and arrow down a hallway, down a corridor, and somebody puts this acrobatic cartwheel. The arrow goes like between their feet and they dodge it. Well, later on, another guy tries kind of a similar thing and he like does this perfect uh, cartwheel around off and he, he even sticks to landing and he's got this arrow in his arm. And I completely lost myself laughing at this scene. I yep. loved it, but you know, you talked about, um, Charlie Brown being kind of an inspiration at, and, you know, in, I guess a part of uh, the film, there was something I thought about during the, I guess the climax sequence, uh, the, the chasing, uh, you know, the, the final chasing, but it reminded me of a film that I really thought was underrated. And if you don't know what it is, I really hope I can turn you on to it. Uh, early nineties, late eighties. I think um, it was a film starring a super young Brad Pitt. Uh, Jill Schluin, who you might remember from The Stepfather, uh, original one back in like 87, 88-ish. Donovan, uh, Donovan Leitch, but it was called Cutting Class. And oh, I did see that one. I did did see you? That. I did. Oh, my God. Yes. Well, yes. Well, the, I love that film, first of all. It's grossly underrated. It came out in like 88, 89, Students and teachers getting picked off one by one. A few things I liked about cutting class, I see and cheer or die. And just when you think, you know, all you need to worry about is petty teenage squabbles. Well, somebody's dead. Yeah. <laughs> cutting class. It, listen, if watch cheer or die first, but then watch cutting class because I love it. But Karen, before I let you go, tell us what we can do to help your project and, uh, you know, just, just to get out there as much as we can get it. Well, obviously, I think you can you can buy the DVD, which is like what purists do. You can watch it on, I guess, Amazon Prime. There's like iTunes. You can download it from different, like, or rent it at least from different places. And I think you can, like, many, many different streaming, like, platforms i'm sure uh more more in the, the states than in canada i think i can only i only know uh, amazon prime and, and itunes because that's what i've been telling all my friends to go see it on but um and i think that part of it like last night by the way i had a screening of it for my uh 20 close friends so i rented a theater and we put it up on the big screen and i had not seen it since 
uh, unfortunately, my first, my last cut of it was still rated R. There's a couple of things they had to tweak. So, you know, there's always a little, <laughs> a little something. It, it didn't do anything terrible to it. It's just that there was a couple, like, like we tried to push some of the graphic part of it and it, it kind of, it, it tweaked the sensors. So they were like, nope, those, but it was like small notes. It wasn't huge, but I hadn't seen it since. And I, I have a hard time. The studio sent me over a copy so I could approve it. And it, it basically was watermarked with my name. And I hate watching things on my computer watermarked with my name. So I kind of held off until um, until we could actually get the theater. And it was so much fun. I didn't realize that, you know, like you're when you're working on something, you don't think of your film as anything other than like you're working on it. And it was so nice to see it with an audience because they were like, again, once you have permission to laugh, it is supposed to be fun. Like it's it's not necessarily like some of the other bring it ons tend to be more broad comedy, like kind of on the sitcom side of comedy. This is more mm -hmm. like the old um, campy, dark comedy, like the way that horror is supposed to be for, for dark comedy. And I was so happy to hear like there was people in the audience and friends and family that I, you know, weren't necessarily horror fans, but there was squealing and laughing. And that's exactly what I wanted to, to hear. Like, it's not meant to be like an uber serious thing. The fact that I have used cheer moves as all the moves should tell you something about where, where our hearts were. This film was straight out of the 80s with like much better uh, visual and like no egregious amount of nudity. <laughs> That's basically the only thing you're lacking in, in this one that makes it like a just your quintessential 80s horror flick. And I loved it. Uh, I didn't think I was gonna. Oh, but as soon as I as soon as I knew that I did, I said, I have to talk to Karen. Thank you I so much. To, I have yeah. to reach out and try. Thanks. I think and another thing you might want to do is get some friends because I think it, it plays well with like a bunch of friends. You know what I mean? Like get your sleeping bags, get your PJs, get your salty sweet snacks that are like it's Halloween time. Get all your stuff like the stuff that you were planning to buy for the kids. Eat it yourself. That's what I'm saying. Like and, and uh, just just enjoy. So, ma'am, I am 40 years old. There's <laughs> nobody coming over in PJs with with sleeping bags. <laughs> and if they do, <laughs> they'll be asleep by 730 p.m. I guarantee you. But no, this this one's going to get shared. I'm going to put every link that I can find in the episode bio, the uh, episode description, I guess you could say, uh, to this episode. I'm pushing everybody to see it. I actually shared it with a, a good friend already who is one of my colleagues uh, in, in baseball reporting. Yeah, we do that too. So um, yeah, th th this horror thing is like my thing. And then we all meet on the sports side. So. That's why you're slasher sports cinema, right? Oh. Look at that. Look at that thinking, you know. <laughs> Hi, I'm Earth. <laughs> yeah, I might not be final girl, but maybe like second or third to last final girl. You're not the first one to go. <laughs> not You're the not first, the first one. one to go. Not slutty enough, but maybe like maybe maybe like later. Yeah. <laughs> second to the second or third to go at the end and hey that you made it through most of the movie so most, yeah. karen <laughs> i first i mean we're gonna go tell the tale about this one i really do appreciate you coming on taking a, a little bit of your time to talk to me about your film i wish you the best of luck in your documentary that's coming up well uh which one what what have they listed on imdb what am i what am i doing what am i working on <laughs> <laughs> well uh, okay so uh, i guess now that i'm your publicist we're gonna um <laughs> no uh what i saw in pre-production was a documentary on a doctor who did oh, yeah. some shady stuff yeah we uh basically my my there's always like a nebulous um 
was it what are they uh, what am i supposed to say there's a there's a phrase i'm supposed to say numerous projects in various stages of, of development that's what i'm supposed to say go. but i yeah there's there's many things i'm trying to get my fall lineup together because i have a tv series that i've been developing with a with a, another writer and then i just got off one today and i'm trying to convince her to basically let me turn it from a tv series into a feature because i love that, yeah, it, I've never heard of this concept and it's so weird. Again, it's in that weird zone. I've got a, a novel about an Asian sex bot that's gone, well, she's basically gone awry. And then I've also got a, um, yeah, I, I think that's the one I might be working on. Oh, NaNoWriMo is coming up, National Novel Writing Month. I, I do that. Do you do that? Are you a writer? Do you? I'm not, but I would like to be. Yeah. So National Novel Writing Month is every November. And by the end of November, everyone basically sets a word count per day. And at the end of the month, you should have at least a prototype of a novel. So it's the it's the challenge that they have. And I I try to do it every year because um, it's the only thing that gets me off my butt to write something brand new. So well, I'm going to get some links from you and dig into that myself. And I, I know that some of my past guests and some of our listeners are definitely going to be interested in that i myself am going to be interested and there's only nine days 10 days away from november at the time of this recording yeah. so we're right on time i highly uh, suggest it because it gets you into a rhythm of writing and again at the end of it you get it like you should have fifty thousand words if you've planned it out right like there's a certain number of word count that you have to hit every day and the cool thing about doing it with everyone kind of doing it at the same time is a big challenge is that most of us get into a rut where you write one page and you keep rewriting it. You know what I mean? Like you're just polishing that one page and you don't get past it. When you have a word count per day, you're literally like, screw that and just keep going. You know what I mean? Like you have to keep trudging forward and you can go back and rewrite it and work on it and revise it. But at least you've got it down on paper. Yeah. You know, I feel like a lot of times my rough draft ends up being a shiny draft and is because I've worked on the wrong things. I've just gotten no progress out of it. And I've, I've been going back and just, like you said, polishing that first page and like that first page is great. And then I get really tired and then it just, the rest of it's really sloppy, but I've yeah. got some stories that I would like to, to put out. And I mean, th this is a, probably a perfect opportunity to do that. So I challenge you to write a novel. Like this oh, I wish you hadn't because... done that because I'm going <laughs> to have to do it now. <laughs> I double dog dare you. you Gosh, I wish you hadn't done that. <laughs> well, Karen, before I let you go, could you uh, tell everybody where they can find you on your social media? If you're even present on social media. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Okay. So on Twitter, I am opiate picks. So O P I H E P I X. And that's where you get my horror director thing. But my Instagram, which is really embarrassing. And I'm very sorry to tell you is actually my cats. So it's Mateo and Sophia. So it's really where I put my, there's very little film. It's really my, I sew, I knit, I, I'm a textile freak. So, and my cats. So it's like, yeah. And oh, by the way, when you're watching the film, my cat is named Mateo. I did not name the character in the, in Bring It On, Cure Die, after my cat. The, the, I don't, I don't believe that whatsoever. It, the, it was some, like, it was just uh, synchronous is what I would say. Um, and then I think, uh, oh, and if you're interested on in the short films and stuff, KarenLambFilms.com is where you can get the links to my short films. KarenLambFilms.com. All of this is going into the episode bio. Karen, I thank you very much for your time today. It has been just an exquisite time. I hope we can do it again when your next project drops. And I wish you the very best. Uh, listeners, you know what to do. Choke up on the bat, stay alive, and make sure that you 
go out and drink the blood of your enemies from the skulls of their children.